Yes, and uh, Brother Randy, I remember when you first learned to play the guitar and uh, Miss Jerry was in the hospital very sick and you picked up the guitar at that time and uh, such a blessing now to see the two of you uh, playing and singing there together. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 this evening. Philippians chapter 2, and if you uh, have your place and you're able to stand with me, if you would stand as we read tonight a portion of God's Word. This is a, a tremendously important section of Scripture, and uh, we've... Um, We've been just uh, dealing with uh, the, the joy of the Lord, and uh, the book of Philippians is a book about joy. And uh, we saw in chapter 1 that often circumstances still, uh, still are joy. And uh, we're not to be under the circumstances, but uh, we should live above those circumstances and understand that God works all things together for good to those that love the Lord. Now we come to chapter 2, and another robber of joy is people, relationships. And so we're looking at a principle here in Philippians chapter 2 that helps us in dealing with relationships. And it's really kind of, I call it an ironic principle of the Bible, or it's something that humanly speaking makes no sense, and yet divinely speaking, it makes all sense. And we have the greatest illustration of this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, what we have here, Philippians 2, is God's path to greatness. Now, I want you to pick, uh, pick up with me verse number 1, Philippians 2, verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, Philippians chapter 1 speaks about putting Christ first, and Philippians 2 speaks of putting others second. Okay, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice there are seven steps downward here. Number one, who being of the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus left the glory of heaven. Uh, secondly, but he made himself of no reputation. Thirdly, took upon him the form of a servant. Fourthly, was made in the likeness of men. Uh, number five, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Number six, he became obedient unto death. And number seven, even the death of the cross, the most lowly of deaths. And so we see here that the way down is then the way up. It's the way to be exalted, seven steps upward. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, number one, and given him a name which is above every name, number two, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, number three, of things in heaven, number four, things in earth, number five, and things under the earth, number six, and number seven, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Seven steps down, seven steps up. The way down is the way up. The path to greatness is through the path of humility. That's the principle that God sets forth in this passage of Scripture. It's very, humanly speaking, hard for us. We can't do it on our own. It has to be Jesus doing that through you. Uh, your nature is contrary to this. My nature is contrary to this. And it's something that Christ must live through you and through your life. With that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this, this evening. Father, thank you this evening. What a privilege to be in this place. Uh, what a privilege to know you personally as Lord and Savior. And Lord, you're so good. You've been good to us all day. And we're humbled 
just, Lord, how, uh, how you just meet with us, how you save souls, how, Lord, you love us despite us, and how, God, you're willing to just take uh, frail people and use frail people. I thank you, Lord, uh, for this night. I thank you for the principles set forth. Lord, help us tonight to seek you to apply the mind of Christ to our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this evening. As you're seated, ask you very quickly to take your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 10. I want you to see this very principle set forth in Mark, chapter number 10. In uh, Mark, chapter 10, just to give you the context here, God's path to greatness, um, we'll find here in the midst of the chapter that the disciples are having an argument about who should be the greatest in the kingdom of God. And uh, that's kind of our human nature. We want to be the greatest. We want to exalt ourselves. And so that's uh, kind of what's going on with the disciples. And in the midst of this, if you go to verse number 35 of John chapter 10, James and John uh, come to Jesus. Notice this, James and John, verse 35, the sons of Zebedee come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And so they're coming to Jesus. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. So they're seeking for themselves a position of prominence. Now you go to chapter 10, verse number 41. Uh, the other disciples hearing about this, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. They were upset about this because James and John are seeking their own benefit and not the benefit of of others. Now Jesus, as so often was the case, used this as a teachable moment. And he says to the disciples, he gathers them together, and he would not allow this to be a destructive thing in their relationships. Jesus, verse 42, called them to him and saith unto them, You know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. Their great ones exercise authority upon them. What he says is the world's way to greatness is to find a position of authority, to exalt yourself. And those of you that work out in the uh, secular world, you know that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. And you often find sometimes that uh, others will put you down so that they can exalt themselves. And I saw that happening over and over as I worked in the, in the secular world. That's the path of the world. But notice what Jesus said to his disciples in verse number 43. He says, But it shall not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, a servant. And whosoever you, of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to give his life a ransom for many." And so Jesus expresses the path to greatness is to come to this place of humility. The path to greatness is to seek to make others great. And by the way, we're, we're dealing with the, the political realm here tonight afterwards. And I believe that um, those that are elected officials are servants of the people. They're elected of the people, by the people, for the people. And uh, that should be the direction, should be a path of service and the purpose of government was not to destroy freedom or to take freedom, but that purpose of government was to protect our God-given inalienable rights and those paths and rights to freedom. And I believe that when, when, a, when an elected official understands this, that the path to greatness is to help make others great. 
and to help exalt others. This was the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now with that, let's go back to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2. And we have the greatest illustration of this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. As uh, we have this, this example of the Lord. And there are some personal examples of this principle of greatness. And uh, Christ is the greatest example of selflessness. Again, I, I want to, and I want to quickly move through this tonight, but look in verse number 3 of Philippians 2. Uh, he says to us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. We're not to exalt self, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We've talked about this uh, in your home. Wives, you should seek to make your husband the best husband you can make him to be. And I believe wives or husbands should do the same for their wives and children. I uh, should seek to make their parents the very best parents they can make them to be. I believe in your workplace that uh, wherever you're working, you ought to seek to make your boss uh, the very best boss that you can make him to be. And you seek as a Christian to be a blessing and to help to exalt others, not for vain glory, but esteeming other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. We have here a very clear passage that deals with the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, become man. A fully God, yet fully man. And we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, His selflessness. And here as God, that exalted position, He left the glory of heaven. He gave His privilege. He gave His right for us to make us great, to serve us. He came as a servant, and that's what the Bible teaches. And every one of you, if you're saved tonight, you understand this. You're saved not of your own will or your own goodness. You're saved by the grace of God. And you're saved because the Lord Jesus Christ, God, left the glory of heaven, came into this world, was born in a manger. And he went and lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived, went to the cross, shed his blood. That's our means of forgiveness. And none of us can save ourselves. It's God's gift that God gives to those who will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that was Jesus, his selflessness on our behalf. Now, that's the opposite of my human sin nature. Uh, our human sin nature, we think of ourselves, but God's way is that path of thinking of others. And really, you cannot know the true joy of the Lord until you die to self and you begin to serve, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you begin to serve others. That's the selflessness of the Lord. You see in verse 7, His service. He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant. Interestingly, as you read through the Gospels, uh, you do not find others serving Jesus. You find Jesus serving others. Uh, he served uh, the harlots, he served the sinners, he served the sick, he served the lame, uh, he served the disciples, he washed their feet, he was a servant, and he gave himself in that heart of service. And then in verse number uh, 8, we read about his sacrifice, and it states in verse 8, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And uh, really, apart from sacrifice, uh, there can be no great accomplishments for the Lord. There can be no great accomplishments in anything. Uh, anytime you see some blessing somewhere, you find that somebody sacrificed that that blessing might take place. I was just reading, by the way, of a, of a youth group. They came to their pastor. 
And they were asking their pastor if they could do something of service. And so their pastor was going to give them some little menial tasks. And they said, no, pastor, we're talking about something big. And what we would like to do, there's a room that's in a big mess, and we'd like to clean that room up, and we know that we need more Sunday school spaces, and we'd like to clean that room up and paint that room and get it ready for a Sunday school class. And they said, Pastor, in addition to that, we would like to establish a youth visitation, and we would like to, every Sunday afternoon, go out and visit and knock some doors and share the Lord with some individuals. And so they were talking about a path of sacrifice, a path of service. And ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing, somebody said. And here of the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave that illustration of sacrifice. Now we have here the example of Christ, and then you follow this through. Verse 17 speaks of the example of Paul. And we could say, just as let this mind be in you, that was also in Christ, we can see the mind of Christ illustrated in the life of Paul. Verse 17, uh, Paul is expressing in Philippians 2. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. And, and Paul, we know, was greatly used. But if you look at the life of Paul, what Paul is basically saying is, I want to pour my life out for the Lord Jesus Christ, a living sacrifice. I want my life to count for something for Jesus Christ. And I believe that Paul's greatness was the result of his selflessness, his sacrificial service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul surrendered his life daily to the Lord. He said, I die daily. Then we read in verse number 19, the example or illustration of Timothy and this life of servanthood, this mind of Christ in Timothy. He says in verse 19, when I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may also be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally notice this care for your state. Uh, for all seek their own, not the things which are Christ, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. And so here's Timothy, greatly used of God, but he was to Paul like Joshua was to Moses, and he lived this life of service, this life of sacrifice for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ, greatly used of God. And then the chapter finishes up with a man named Epaphroditus, who had also the mind of Christ, this mind of service. Look in verse 25. He says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier, but your messenger, he that ministered to my wants. And then in verse number 30 of Epaphroditus, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service to me. And he was a servant illustrating the mind of Christ as, um, as did Paul the Apostle, as did Timothy. And then, of course, as did the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are the personal examples of greatness that the Bible sets forth. In all cases, the greatness came through a life of sacrifice. Now, I want to look at this section of Scripture, verses 9 through 11. And you'll find that this personal sacrifice leads to a path of exaltation. Uh, Jesus stated in the Gospel of Mark, the greatest among you shall be servant of all. And we looked earlier at this way down is the way up. If we humble ourselves, then God would exalt us. And here's what happened of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we read of the Lord in verse number 9, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. 
and given him a name which is above every name. Isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? It's a precious name. It's a lovely name. Uh, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior. I was lost. I was on the road to hell. Uh, I was on the wrong path. And the Lord Jesus began to knock at my heart and he dealt with me. And I remember well that night I cried out and said, Lord, I need you. I know you died for me. I know you love me. I know you shed your blood. And Lord, I put my faith and my trust in that alone for my salvation. Uh, what a wonderful name, the name of Jesus. Uh, he's a name that is worthy of praise. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of honor. Uh, that name of Jesus is a name of power. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there is power in that name. I'm thinking back to an account in the book of Acts, chapter number 3, uh, where Peter and John went to the temple. There was the lame man. The lame man was there begging, and I remember Peter says, uh, silver and gold have we none. But we've got something more value, valuable than that. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Bible tells the story how that lame man who had sat at beautiful gate uh, rose up and leaping and jumping and shouting and praising the name of the Lord. And a crowd began to gather around that temple. And uh, I remember then as Peter said to that crowd, and uh, it was nothing that we did, but it was the power of that name. It was the name of Jesus that caused this man to rise up and walk. And then later uh, they were brought before the council and they exalted that name of Jesus. And then I remember as Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, it's not the name of Buddha. It's not the name of Muhammad. It's not the name of Hare Krishna. It's the name of Jesus. And he's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Why? Because he came and humbled himself. He gave all for us that we might be saved. And he's been given that lovely, precious, wonderful, powerful name. The name of Jesus before which every knee will bow. But I want you to see something and I want to close with an important thought. Look at verse number 11. And he says that at the name, or that, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But notice this next statement. To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. Do you know that that was the intent of the Lord Jesus Christ? To glorify His Father. Uh, he was not for vain glory, but He was for the glory of His heavenly Father. I want to show you something in the Gospel of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, the night that Jesus was betrayed. Really, we might call this the Lord's Prayer. In John chapter 17, in verse number 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son. But notice this, that thy Son also may glorify 
thee. In verse number 4, Jesus said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ was to fulfill the will of his Father, to glorify his Father. There was no vain glory. And here's the point that I want to make to us tonight. You see, as individuals, our goal ought to be to glorify the Lord. As a church, our goal ought to be to glorify the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. He goes on to say, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. But it says, Unto the praise of His glory. Jesus shared in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That ought to be our goal, our mission, not vain glory, but the glory of our Heavenly Father. Uh, the glory of our Savior, to exalt His name. How can we glorify God? Well, how do we do so? The path of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through a surrendered life. It's through a selfless life. It's through a sacrificial life of service to the King of Kings. And it's that service that comes from the mind of Christ, that service that comes from a mind of humility. It's that humility that allows God to use us for His glory. If we exalt ourselves, we lose the privilege of glorifying the Lord. But if we exalt the Lord and humble ourselves, we gain the privilege as Paul the Apostle, a servant, as Timothy, a servant, as Epaphroditus, a servant. We gain that opportunity to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord is looking for. We had the job fair last week. And what an opportunity to serve the Lord. That the Lord might be glorified. It's the way down becomes the way up. Seven steps down led to seven steps up. I'd like with that to, to go to the Lord this evening in prayer.